Episode 162, The Ease of Doing Business. Today, I speak with Brian Van Winkle and Rashab Shaw from John Hopkins Medicine and working with Node Health. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. The World Bank had a revelation a few years back. Some very smart people working there realized that countries that were easy to do business with thrived. Within these countries' business ecosystem, the best and the brightest entrepreneurs and investors grew not only their own businesses, but also positively influenced other businesses and the community around them. Brian Van Winkle and Rashab Shaw, both executives at John Hopkins, had their own revelation. Health systems who are easy to do business with attract and enable the best and the brightest startups or other entrepreneurs who are able to do great work within their walls, with their patients, and with their clinicians. It's becoming fairly axiomatic at this juncture that provider organizations, along with payers, by the way, cannot be good at inventing and innovating absolutely everything that's possible to conceive of and develop. It is impossible for any group, no matter how dynamic and forward-thinking and awesome, to be better than everybody else at everything. For this reason, the idea of health systems and payers becoming great aggregators of amazing tech and services is definitely gaining traction. This would include internally developed as well as externally sourced technology and services. Listen to Rahul Dubey in episode 159 for more info on this evolution in the payer space. But back to Brian and Rashab. They spotted this trend in its early days and also saw the issues that health systems face and will face as the ease of doing business becomes more and more of a rate critical of success. Thus was born the Ease of Doing Business initiative, a healthcare style, based on the World Bank's ease of doing business model. In a nutshell, what the World Bank did in their ease of doing business initiative is they came up with a set of measures and hived those measures into categories, and then they ranked countries against those measures. Brian and Rishab decided to do the same thing. They created a list of questions for health systems to self-rank, at least initially, themselves on how well they did within these seven categories of measures. 12 to 15 of the leading health systems agreed to participate. Most are members of Node Health, where Brian is the former executive director. And this ease of doing business initiative is under the Node Health umbrella. Brian and Rashab speak today only for themselves during this interview. They do not speak for their employer or anybody else. My name is Stacey Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Rashab Shaw and Brian Van Winkle, welcome to Relentless Health Value. Thank you. Thank you. Why don't we just... Uh, go around the room here. <laughs> Just talk a little bit about who you are and your role. Happy to. Thanks for having us. My name is Brian Van Winkle. I'm the former executive director of Node Health, currently on the leadership team. My full-time role in my 60-hour-a-week job is as executive director for Johns Hopkins at Sibley Memorial, where we focus on external partnerships and startup companies. Thank you again. My name is Rashab Shaw. I'm the head of technology innovation at Sibley Innovation Center as part of Johns Hopkins Medicine. As Brian mentioned, we focus on outside-in innovation, filling the gap of solving healthcare's biggest operational challenges through leveraging the intensity and tremendous opportunity in the startups and entrepreneur community. 
Let's just start at the very beginning of the story here. And I know we're going to get to the ease of doing business initiative. But the first question that we have to pose is, what's the downside here? What if a health system is not easy to do business with? What are the consequences of not being great in this regard? I think in, in just a, a quick 30 seconds on what that, that means, ease of doing business, stolen from the World Bank in terms of how to evaluate a country's ability to grow businesses internally, trying to use that in the healthcare system to evaluate our ability to partner and grow businesses and appreciate outside in innovation. So what if we don't do that? I suppose it's you have to have two philosophies in that. A, there has to be an appreciation for the growing value outside innovation has in this ecosystem for you to think that there is a negativity or a negative to not doing it. You don't have to go far to see some great thinkers think that most industries get disrupted from outside in, very rarely from inside out. So that's one philosophy that you need to have to really endorse this ease of doing business with. The second philosophy that you have to have is you have to acknowledge that we're in a crisis state. And again, Rashab and I can debate that. Uh, We're happy to. We don't want to spend a ton of time on that. But in our privilege, we have the insights from working inside a community health system where we actually do see the crisis. We see it on a very micro level, which is staff burnout, higher suicide rates, overburden emergency departments, uh, a nursing staff that can't staff. And these turn into tears, these turn into crisis, these turn into really the severity of the crisis that we're in. And that's just a, a micro level. We're not talking the macro level that everybody talks about. So you combine those two philosophies, the, this crisis mentality or this very real crisis that's going on with an appreciation of outside in innovation. I actually do not think you solve those crises in the status quo of trying to solve our own problems. That's just not how uh, industries really transform. So what do we give up by not doing it? We give up solving the problem. And what more can you give up? Yeah, the only thing I was going to add is that we take a multifaceted approach to solve any of these issues anyway, because certainly we aren't the first innovation function that's occurred at our respective institutions. We have incredible IT prowess. We have a, a technology innovation center that's able to build solutions from the ground up. So what we have to recognize is that they're tough problems in healthcare. And one of the tools that may be being underutilized is tremendous potential from folks that are working in a free market that have an incentive to solve those problems, whether it be market forces, whether it be mission level forces, to help solve that problem. So what are we doing by, are we putting ourselves at a disadvantage by not at least being easy to interface with? What that's doing is hindering your ability to use that tool the same way that you are not servicing your frontline staff with the right equipment, if you're not servicing your employees with the right education, in the same way by lowering, by hiring the barrier of entry for companies and startups to do business with us, you are hindering their capability to bring that incredible opportunity or tremendous potential into the healthcare system. So how do most health systems fare? Are they a joy to work with? Ask the startups who have a eighth month runway from their first seed or family round and ask them what a 12-month or 18-month sales cycle has done for their company. I would say ask startups that this isn't consumer tech, where I can go out to the streets of New York and say, what do you think of my product? Here's my prototype. Let's figure out whether there's some way I can iterate on that. It isn't normal SaaS software either, where I can, I can put out a feature and A-B test it every day. So 
when they're trying to code about that product and they've come to a healthcare system and they're saying we're 30% there, but we really want to make a difference, ask them whether that's been an easy process for them to interface with from a liability, legal, technology integration, from a business model generation, all of those type of things. And I think what you'd hear is, is that it's suboptimal. It's suboptimal not because I don't think there's intent. I certainly think there, if I can use the word insurgents or champions in healthcare systems, those are point people, not organizations. And even the champion has issues then if a hospital is difficult to do business with, then you have a situation where even the champion might have issues gaining consensus and permission within their own organization. So the way that I'm envisioning the picture that you're painting here is a bell curve, because that's how I think. And we've got the top of the bell curve, maybe of health systems, maybe not so great at partnering. You've got the front of the bell curve, and those are the systems that are excellent at, at partnering. And then, of course, you've got your, your laggards. And what I'm understanding you saying is that that front of the bell curve, really good at partnering, this also might be the exact same bell curve of which health systems are out five years going to be the most successful. 100%. If we show the correlation between a partnership strategy and operationalizing that in terms of the infrastructure to support that, if we correlate that with outcomes like patient experience or margins or throughput, real metrics we care about, now they're all of a sudden going to say, wow, maybe this is real. Maybe by not working on this, we're going to be left behind and patients are going to go elsewhere. Maybe even physicians go elsewhere. They want to work with these health systems that appreciate this as part of their strategy. I think that there is a significant gap with our already overworked clinicians, MDs, front staff, scrub techs, administration, of expecting them to also constantly take a step back and look at really systemic sort of issues and put together work groups and ask them, hey, come here every month. There's a larger issue in the entire healthcare ecosystem on access. We want all of you to come and do literature reviews and discuss how we can solve that. I mean, isn't that incredibly unfair for someone who's already putting 120% into their job to add that additional load? And there are players within the healthcare ecosystem there to help. But one of the things that we've been very stringent on, as I mentioned to you, is that the sourcing, the requirements that are given out to the market, to startups, and are, that are given to MDs and frontline staff is honestly incredibly vague. I mean, the problems that come down the pike to administrators and quite honestly to innovation centers come at this level. I'll give you an example. One is there's a problem in the operating room. I mean, that is honestly the level of which, and maybe that's great for innovation centers because we love chewing on like big macro level challenges. But what we've been able to develop over the last year is how do you take something that comes from a C-suite that there is a problem in the operating room and take that like six layers of granularity down because if you go, if I went out to the market and said, I'm looking for companies to help me with a problem in the operating room, there are like, a, you know, I'm sure, just a horde of solutions to say, I do something in the operating room. However, now we're both doing both of us a disservice because now these guys are going to waste cycles that they could be going to a more targeted organization. And I'm wasting cycles because I don't know whether I'm really going to solve that problem or whether I have the bandwidth to go through with that horde of solutions. So what we're hoping to do is, is and we have, is go from that macro level chance to the what's driving a problem in the operating room is that Mayo scissors number 16 don't get clean enough, fast enough, and that downstream is causing cases to not go swimmingly. That is the sourcing sheet that should go out to the entrepreneurial community. Does your product help me get Mayo scissors number 16 clean enough? Now, I'm oversimplifying it. I mean, there are ideas of saying, I'm going to use AI to lower the variation in instruments so that Mayo scissors number 16 get clean fast enough. 
But if we could spread that message to other innovation centers as well, and we seek to be the model that does that, to not only be experts, the VCs are, are experts at sourcing and due diligence, but who is putting a focus on the requirements and the problem identification? And that's what we're t- taking the lead on as a component of easing doing business. If we can verbalize what we want better, hopefully we're easier to do business with. Yeah, let's just take a, a step back and just talk about what we, I think, have come to realize here during the course of this conversation. We've got some clarity on this. Great. Wow. <laughs> you know, every now and then there's a spark. The idea here is that in maybe even the near term, we're going to have health systems who have successfully partnered doing very well. But in order to have successfully partnered, you have to know how to successfully partner. You want to just talk about the ease of doing business initiative and how you intend to achieve that end game. A little stepping back what it is and how we're, we're maybe visualizing its use. It's a concept borrowed from the World Bank. Many, many years ago, maybe decades ago, they developed a concept that says, look, if you can grow a business in a country, chances are that country is going to do very well, which obviously links to the poverty levels, the income levels. So they went back, they went through a very robust process of breaking that down objectively. So we got a a group of health systems together in this first beta test. I wanted maybe three or four to participate. We have 12 to 15 of the leading healthcare systems across the country, which is incredible. You have charts of their answers across 50 questions that correlate with seven categories. And we can compare each other and we can learn from each other because I promise you, nobody really wants to be working on this stuff. We want to be finding the right solutions and implementing them and measuring them. We don't want to be working on what makes it easy to do business with. And so I'm really hoping that there's this community building, A. B is I hope we start aligning all of this flood of organizations and resources and consultants that are just flooding the market with saying, I want to help. I don't know if all of them do want to help. I think most of them want to make money. A lot of them may want to help, but how do we even align those to specific categories where health systems are struggling and how do we standardize that, I think? And again, I think the more and more health systems come to this, I think the more momentum it'll gain and it'll just be a standard and we can move on to actually solving healthcare. But there is a layer of fat that we are navigating that has just been, I think everybody's just fed up with it. And that's why I think we're really going to try to work together to make this happen. This is a meta layer that has to be addressed. And quite honestly, because it's difficult, people, I think in many ways have run away from that and said, well, let's just, it's a little bit easier as a moral hazard to be like, let's just go solve the problem. It's like, well, there's some infrastructure that needs to be built. What I think is that there will get, this is very early and there's an opportunity for entrepreneurs to be involved in this, right? After we get those results from the leading healthcare systems, there's an opportunity to compare those to folks that have actually worked with those systems. And I think what we'll find is that if there are significant deltas in how we self-appraise ourselves versus what those entrepreneurs who have had to go through that experience see, that maybe there's a way to develop a sort of continuum where we say, well, in the category of technology integration, certainly you think that you are world-class, maybe you've won some awards, but on the ground level, when a startup comes into here, they think this is a really poor experience. Is, is it because of the time? Is it because of the, the knowledge curve that is required for someone that's maybe not necessarily a veteran of the healthcare industry that is a new entrant? 
that is trying to get into healthcare? What is it about that? And maybe eventually, because of that the delta and those answers, we can build a way for a roadmap for each of those categories for health systems to be able to follow, saying other organizations that were at level two that have been able to go to level five have just been able to make that gap because they've been able to document those issues better, or they've been able to hire talent into being able to do those issues. So I'm hoping that those data points that this experiment can collect can be driven into essentially ecosystem-based workgroups that build up what are the definitive steps required to move across the maturity scale. What I'm understanding is you're kind of building like the evidence-based pathway to standardize care around or, or standardize innovation around so that everybody's got a playbook and can put themselves in the right category, number one. So you don't have entrepreneurs who are, it's hard when people aren't in a box to understand what part of a large complex health system might be entrusted in that, or even to talk about, it's, it's basically creating a common kind of language. A little bit of like what's slowing the industry down. And again, maybe it sounds like a cliche or tacky, but it's just um, a common language. And you hear that a lot. But we spent the first day just like, what is digital medicine, digital therapeutics and digital health? And on the surface of it is like, well, why the hell does that matter? Well, actually, it does matter because we need to put you in a box so we know what type of regulatory policies apply to you or what type of, of barriers you need to overcome or what types of evidence you need to collect because you're in that box. And right now, everybody is in the box. Similar to health systems, I think what box do you exist in in terms of your philosophy around startups and have you invested in that? And if you haven't, all companies should be running away from that health system because it's going to be a drag on their time. So I, I think the analogy of just clarifying terminologies, definitions, clarifying what ease of doing business is down to a specific question of, do you have these five fields on this form and are you using a standard integration type of framework with endpoints? Rashad can talk about that. From what I'm understanding, we're building this construct, which creates kind of a, a standard infrastructure as well as a standard workflow, which is a process with roles and responsibilities, which is generally speaking. Gosh, it sounds so unsexy. <laughs> is everything we're working in innovation? <laughs> But yes, that's exactly right. <laughs> it's pretty well proven that you need these things in order to scale efficiently. And I didn't have to get a degree in economics to be able to state that with confidence. Why don't we just briefly talk about each of the seven or, or give us a listicle here. What are the seven areas of success factors even that an organization has to be really good at if they're going to improve their ease of doing business. For sure. And I should preface this, this is a work in progress. So we welcome anybody that hears this or is listening to reach out to us to give us some input. We want this to almost be crowdsourced in terms of how we evaluate. But yeah, we came up with seven. The first one is customer support and governance, um, which basically means does this healthcare system support getting to a yes or no quickly? Emphasis on or no. Contracting and legal. Does this healthcare system have contracting and legal processes that don't overly burden or, or handcuff the startups? Patient safety and clinical research. Does this healthcare system have safety and research policies and processes that both protect patients but encourage rapid discovery and evaluation? Integration and technology. Does this healthcare system make it easy to adapt an emerging health tech solution? Data security and availability. Does this healthcare system make data available? Commercialization support. Does this healthcare system support business development beyond the trial and validation period? 
And finally, industry perceptions. Is this healthcare system perceived to be easy to do business with? So those are just the first seven categories that again are dissected into maybe five to 10 questions around each of those, but it's meant to be comprehensive of all the types of categories that would require a, a health system to be easy to do business with. And the only thing I was going to add is we have backed into the challenges that we have faced with bringing really high potential companies mm-hmm. potentially in the system and said, well, what went wrong there? It's, this is almost a export of the root cause analysis of some lessons learned and saying, well, what went wrong here? Well, it was the fact that we, we didn't have a, a technology endpoint for them to plug into. Okay, there must be something there and we've built from that. Okay, in this particular one, it took a year to get to a term sheet for that company. Okay, that must be a challenge. Well, on this one, it took us a year to even say yes or no to this company. So you see where I'm getting at. These are all almost sourced from, this isn't theoretical. It's literally, what did we face? And then backing into, well, if we could potentially build a continuum on each of these, maybe we can improve ourselves and then potentially others. What I understand is that you have given each of the participating health systems a quiz that included a number of questions which were broken into the categories, which you've identified as being crucial. And you ask them to self-report how they're doing. In general, how are the answers? Are health systems easy to work with according to themselves or are they difficult to work with according to themselves? According to themselves, proudly an acknowledgement of room for improvement. I think maybe there were slightly a bit of hubris in the answers. One healthcare system in particular gave himself excellent ratings across every question. And there is a, a question that also asked, what is your mission as an innovation center? And his answer was to dominate all other healthcare systems. And so I know the guy, the nice thing is I know a lot of these people and we, th- we thought about taking it out of the results, but we actually said, no, this is a beta test that's going to happen. How do we control for the level of subjectivity or awesomeness that everybody thinks they have? And so that, you know, that's a very real answer and that's something that we want to work through. What was interesting though is what is true is relative scoring within a health system. So you might think you're really good at a lot of things, but you know you're kind of weak. You're going to just put good there. And so that's actually a signal that you're probably actually a little worse there. There's some things that we can kind of get directionally, but there was actually a widespread between the bottom half and the top half. And because I know these innovation centers, I know that's very real. The second thing we want to do is, I think Rashad mentioned it, is audit everybody's answers. So we're now taking all 15 healthcare system answers. We are sending them to 20 companies. These companies have agreed to be a part of this beta test. We very specifically got a wide range of companies from mega listen to them types of companies to smaller startups that are probably in the uh, 50 employee range. And they're basically going to say, look, I've dealt with these healthcare systems. I disagree or I agree. I know these companies as well. So I've been very clear because there's a lot of bias there. If you got a deal, you're going to say, oh, they were really easy. But we have to build a little bit of trust and honesty with each other until we really embed objective measures. This is just kind of that beta test. But that's kind of that balancing of this hubris that we bring to the survey with a balancing of that external perception. So it's like a 360 review. A hundred percent. Yeah. But it also, I think that, you know, the Dunning-Kruger effect, do you know what I'm talking about? The more you know about something, the less you think you know. It also could be, you're talking about hubris. It also could be the organizations that actually maybe are less good at innovation. So they know less about it who rank themselves higher. Such a great point. The lowest scoring health system 
among the 15 health systems that uh, filled this out did not have an innovation center. And I'm going to go talk to this person and I'm going to ask questions in a different way. And I bet they're not as low as they think. I think they're looking through some of these questions like, how quickly can you get to yes or no? Or do you have a legal department that has any exposure to dealing with startup companies or emerging tech companies? The answers to a lot of those may be yes, but there's this perception that you need an innovation center to do that. So I want to kind of tease that away a little bit. It's interesting you brought up the Dunning-Kruger effect because I think in some ways the act of the quiz, if you will, itself is almost remedying a little bit of the Dunning-Kruger effect because it's just objective. Brian mentioned one of the factors is that you'll notice none of the components actually have a, you know, what was the ROI that you were able to achieve? What are the dollars you were able to achieve with that system? It is about the mechanics of being able to interact. This is not, did the soccer team win with that you played with? This is how easy was it to sign up for Little League, right? And so if that's the regard in which you're looking at it, like Brian said, you don't necessarily have to have an innovation function to do that. Having a, you know, a tight legal, legal contracting system for startups has nothing to do with having a separate center or, you know, chief innovation officer or anything in that regard. So I think in some ways, if we're doing this well, then the act of ease of doing business in and of itself is combating some of that Dunning-Kruger effect. And maybe by the next year that you're taking this quiz, not only is it more accurate, but maybe you're operating from a pace of um, lack of ignorance. What are you going to do with this information? Like, what's the aim here? Okay, so, you know, hospitals have scored themselves. And um, maybe one of your success metrics is that how closely you're aligned with what the startups say. That could be interesting. But okay, so you're going to find this out. What's the intent? There's a long-term intent where this maybe, uh, if it grows, becomes something that helps the entire industry and it's a, you know, a standard metric by which you evaluate the health system, yeah, U.S. News report, whatever. But near term, I just want to know if somebody's developed a really good approach to a royalty agreement with a, a Series B company. I want to know if something has really developed a governance structure to work with our own IT shop. I want to share lessons in terms of dealing with IRB and which types of technologies require that type of IRB review and have their IRB review five days. We just want to share, and I, you know, on the panel, there's six companies. I basically said, hey, you just talked about and scored yourself really high are you open to making a commitment to sharing the documents that support why you're saying yes or why, why you're scoring yourself so high? And is that going to be part of the roadmap then? So someone scores themselves super high in an area. So one of the advantages of having the, the, the scorecard is that you can cherry pick and then take those success stories, fold them into a best practice for that success factor. For sure. And, and we're, we're going to just continue to steal your <laughs> ideas. So anything that comes to mind, just feel free. And I'm just like, absolutely, we're going to do that uh, for sure. <laughs> the other thing, you know, the term score might be kind of um, oversimplifying it. I mean, it could really be a maturity matrix that say, look, you're really not performing as an innovation center or as a outside in healthcare system you're at this level, all you really need to do is these three things. And oh, by the way, go reach out to these health systems that really have that area figured out. You may not want to work with a high performing health system because you just don't have, it's really hard to kind of leapfrog some basic infrastructure. So yeah, we're thinking about it a little bit in, in terms of a maturity map and a roadmap. Another idea is there, there's a great book, it's called Beyond Performance 2.0. And I mentioned that because it is also a survey based construct, if you will where they have been able to link. Most organizations are hyper-focused on performance. And the construct behind the book is that 
there has to be an equal focus on health, the health of your employees, the health of your policies, health of your talent management. But here's the more interesting thing. Rather than just having a survey that says, oh, you know, gauge yourself and do better, they've been able to link in a statistically significant way that the earnings of a company can actually be nudged based on how you do across that scale. So I would love, maybe this is aspirational, I would love to find a meaningful measure or KPI that we can say, look, actually, when you move your score and ease of doing business, there is a earnings nudge that happens. There is a talent satisfaction. There is a retention. There is a churn, whatever the case may be that is actually statistically linked to that. And that's where things really start getting interesting because then you go, now this is part of a boardroom discussion. This is for every one point in ease of doing business that you move, you know, there's a earnings before interest that's actually changed. And that would be, and again, maybe aspirational or naive, but I think would be a curious concept. Is there anything that I have neglected to ask you, which you think is really important that our listening audience knows about the ease of doing business? I think it would be, if heard out of context in terms of our strategy or our appreciation for inside-out innovation, it would sound as though we've found the panacea to healthcare, and that's outside-in innovation, that's startups, that's all of this growing buzz around uh, digital tech even. I think it would just be out of context in terms of, no, that's just one part of an innovation or a transformation strategy. Again, if you do not, we started this conversation, if you do not have that philosophy, then you don't need to worry about this. So it's still acknowledging that outside innovation is just one component to an overall, what we would consider to be a comprehensive innovation strategy. And that should not neglect the competency, the skill set, and the energy of staff and clinicians and administrators working in the health system. It shouldn't neglect the power that our EMRs really have in transforming the healthcare system despite a lot of negative perceptions that it might gain. And it really shouldn't undervalue process improvements or design thinking workshops or Lean Six Sigma. Let's not overcorrect. It's just we believe that this is just such a, a yawning gap in a most people's healthcare strategies, or at least it's a yawning gap in operationalizing a healthcare strategy to do partnerships. Yeah, the only thing I was going to add is this is certainly we are focused on with our innovation center is not only on innovating, but innovating on the how of innovation. And one of our aspirations is to be the model for how um, healthcare centers and innovation centers worldwide just do their business. And the example I like to give is that when Y Combinator first started, it was largely regarded as a, a very avant-garde concept. The idea at the time was that you should take majority stakes in companies. That's how you have control in them. That's how you direct them in the right way. And again, at the time, there were a set of naysayers that would say, you can't just have, you know, flurry 50 companies at a time. And this idea of scaling that support was, was not the heyday. Now we look at 10 years, it's the launch of a thousand accelerators. Everyone goes, oh, that's the way to do it. You've got to get scaled that way and you can scale support. So I hope, again, aspirationally in some way, because we are not just focusing, on, we are certainly targeted towards solving healthcare's greatest challenges and operational challenges, but we are also taking the lead on how innovation is done. And if there's some effective way, we can look back five, 10 years from now and go, these set of folks in this growing community has been able to develop a model that we now look at and say, that is the way innovation should be done in healthcare. That is the way investing should be done in healthcare. That's how external partners, that's how ease of doing business should be done in healthcare. Then we will have hopefully a, a similar sort of story arc, if you will. Rishabh Shah and Brian Van Winkle, thank you so much for being on Relentless Health Value Podcast today. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure.
Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.